there something happening today? No. Okay. okay. Just I keep hearing sort of trumpets. Trumpets. Sorry about Sorry, that. Yeah. <laughs> Sprouts. No, that's a noise complaint. You'll be arrested. Okay. okay. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Harmon, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler. And I'm Hazel Chandler. Sorry, it felt like we were saying it really fast. Andy Chandler. <laughs> no, I think that was that was good. Was it? Yeah, I like it fast. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Hazel? <laughs> Why? <laughs> On today's show, it's all lies and deceit as we play our monthly round of Buff or Bluff. And it's the return of our Shameful Gap feature, where we watch an older film for the very first time. And today, that film is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And we'll find out later on who has had the Gap recently filmed. Filmed? (laughs) 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 So let's start the show. Can you say your name backwards? My first name backwards is uh, Leza. <laughs> 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 right. Burton backwards is not rub. Not rub, yes. <laughs> Leza, not rub. Is the only reason you got married so that you didn't have not rub as your name backwards? <laughs> Literally the only reason. <laughs> now it's Reldnatch. Reldnatch. Because like a Disney princess. Yes. Mine's Nyknachum. <laughs> Mine's Retep Hodge. Is it? Yours, John? Oh, I don't know. Um, Gidenraff? <laughs> Gidenraff, yeah. Gidenraff Nodge. Famously a character in Lord of the Rings. Oh, I believe so. <laughs> Andy backwards is Idna. I mean, what we could do is just say our names forward and then get Peter to reverse them and apply uh, <laughs> the magic of editing. And whoever's the closest wins a prize. I just realised now it's 2023 due to copyright laws. We could have Crouching Tigger, Hidden Dragon. Disney could do nothing right. about it. Yeah. Oh, you should do that, John. I do. So I watched, after you all recommended, uh, season three of Picard. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. Oh, no, it's no. Just, oh, most of them, right, have been, like, stapled. The faces have been stapled up, so they look vaguely <laughs> like they used to do. Most, most, of them, most of them can't walk anymore. Worf's got grey beard and grey eye, eyebrows, which is really disturbing. What's uh, wrong with that? And, and, Ages. And none of them can't <laughs> run anymore. None of them can't run anymore. <laughs> so you're saying they all can run? None of them can't run anymore. Yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> they can all run, but really badly. So you went riding the nostalgia train? I did. I was suspecting, uh, you know, next generation, and it was the mm-hmm. old generation, and uh, it didn't really excite me. Aww. How far through are you? I'm on episode three. Uh, it picks up. <laughs> I hope oh, so. It, it picks <laughs> up. The final six minutes of the very last episode. <laughs> pretty decent. That's not true at all. Had my fingers burned by the second season, so it kind of took a while to learn to trust again, <laughs> <laughs> to learn to love yes. again. Worked really well by the end. I'll hold judgment for now. Okay. But at the moment, I'm going. Oh, God, when Klingons get old, do they get even wrinklier, or do they go smooth? <laughs> do the bugs they, 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 they can't cling anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Beef. I'm very much enjoying that. I'm not sure we covered that before. I assume no, you mean yeah. some sort of TV show. Not just, just staring at cows in a field. Yeah. Yeah. The, the slow cooker. Just keep <laughs> been on for a few days. Yeah, we've watched the first episode. Yeah, we, we liked it. 
Yeah. And we, we've intended to go back to it and they just haven't yet. Tell us about beef, John. It's very hard to talk about it without spoiling it. Yeah, if you leave it on too long, it does. <laughs> well, that's, that's handy. <laughs> it needs to be refrigerated, yeah. But you could describe the, the premise. Two people get involved in a relatively minor road rage incident and neither of them will let it go and it escalates. Knowing more than that, I think, because there's some nice little twists and stuff in it, but it's uh, it's highly recommended and it's only like 10 half-hour episodes, so you can have your beef done in an evening. It's on the Netflixes. Uh, it stars Stephen Young. I think Stephen Young and Ali Wong are the two main names in it. Has anyone tried the power yet? Is this some sort of religious conversion? I'm assuming it's working because we're recording. This is a series on Amazon Prime uh, starring, oh, what the hell is she called? Um, Australian actress who's in Muriel's Wedding. Muriel? That's the character name, yes. Sheila. (laughs) (sighs) Tony Collette. It is Tony Collette. And, oh shit, what's the other guy called? I like this game, though. Uh, Is it Bruce? uh, He's quite short, has a crumpled face, good English character actor. Crumpled face. English. English. Um, English crumpled face. All right, never mind. Uh, <laughs> it's about fighting the patriarchy, so you should like it, Hazel. Women acquire the ability to conduct electricity, and they can start oh, I've to seen zap people. For this. Yeah, and it feels a little like Heroes. Buffy, is it got a Buffy? It's a little vibe? bit the boys in some ways, but not as anarchic with that. And a hell of a lot less miserable version of The Handmaid's Tale. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which isn't difficult. Yeah, but it's it's fun. I'm about four episodes in. I believe that the actor you described as short with a crumpled face um, is uh, an unfair description of Eddie Marson. It is, oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who I think is a great actor. Just has yeah. a crumpled, he does not have a, he, dilapidated he is, face. Does not have an Odo-style face. <laughs> Just because he hasn't been pulled in staples like the cast of Star Trek card. <laughs> <laughs> Should we buff our bluff? Yay! Yes, please. Okay, Ian, what have you got? I've got um, uh, a buff bluff about Sheila Twat. Sorry, Berth. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing beef again. Have we done it before? Excellent. No. Linguistics joke, Peter. Well done. <laughs> Credit. No I, one got it. I didn't laugh, but I appreciated it. <laughs> okay. Maybe not the most uh, savoury or mm. sweet. Thank you very much. <laughs> artist, but has had a, a long and interesting career. And, Are you uh, saying he's popcorn? He is essentially um, cockporn and... Uh, uh, is renowned for his unusual and strange behaviour. I have four examples, because I never do the three, <laughs> of strange oh, behaviour. Uh, one of them which I have mad up. You You've mad up. I've mad up. Okay. In uh, 2013, uh, Sheila, sorry, LeBeuf, <laughs> while auditioning for uh, uh, Lars von Trier's uh, two movies, Nymphomaniac, uh, secured the role by sending the director a picture of his penis. In 2015, Sheila, sorry, LeBeuf, <laughs> Live-streamed his heartbeat for a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> On YouTube. He was quoted as saying, it's like, um, people say listen to your heart, uh, and I'm urging them to turn this over to your living sides. Like cats have whiskers, we are too born with an internal guidance system. That is the heart. Okay. What a dickhead. <laughs> a dick pick. Number three, while filming a tank war movie, Fury, Sheila, twat, birth, birth, twat. <laughs> He pulled out his own front tooth and refused to shower for three weeks to get into the role to understand what it might be like to live in the trenches and be malnutritioned. 
You tried acting, you maggot, to quote Russell yeah. Crowe. <laughs> yeah. And finally, in 2019, Shia LaBeouf turned down a role in the foo- in the foovie. <laughs> Try that again. In 2019, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf turned down a role in the movie Knives Out, later played by <laughs> stating, it's not really a fucking mystery, is it? If I'm going to be asked to do the role, then I'm going to be the fucking killer. <laughs> <laughs> Right. What an asshole. I haven't heard the Knives Out thing. So we should state that currently there are many accusations against Shia LaBeouf for abuse and controlling behaviour. I know that he was removed from several movies recently, uh, replaced with Harry Styles, for instance, on um, Hello Darling. What's it called? Uh, Dear don't da- worry, e- darling. Don't worry, darling. <laughs> e- love it'll be all right, I believe it was the English title. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I can't believe all of them. Yeah, the the uh, Lars von Trier movie I haven't seen, but I it does feature a hell of a lot of nudity. That could have been like a test of whether he was prepared to. Yeah. Was it unsolicited? Did he just happen to send a <laughs> dick pic and it turned out that it was a director? Lars von Trier asked him to send a picture of his own penis. Right. Ah. If he was to have the role. I think that's illegal. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is Lars von Trier in prison at the moment? No, but... Ah. I, I... There are... Again, questions about, questions about, about his, his, methods. his methods, including showing, who was it? Gascoigne, not Ga- no, Ga- Paul no. Gascoigne. <laughs> Paul Gascoigne turned up to the set of <laughs> Nymphomaniac with, chicken. <laughs> with some chicken in a body. <laughs> Charlotte Gainsbourg was That's in, the one. Yeah. Apparently she turned up to the hotel for the meeting for the weekend and he brought out lots of porn magazines and insisted they sat down and read them and looked at the pictures together. Yeah, hmm. that was the time before intimacy coordinators, probably. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And it's not just one movie, it's two. I watched them both. Did three, you? T- three times. <laughs> <laughs> three times during the one film. What? Three times during the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think I believe that one. Um, what were the other two? Three. Yeah, the well, three. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I know there's the Knives Out one, which I haven't heard, and I'm cu- is currently leading the pack for okay, my. So yeah, did he send a picture of his own dick to secure his mm-hmm. role in mm. Nymphomaniac? Did he live stream his heartbeat oh, yes. on the internet for a week? That's the dumbest one, I think. That, I know, uh, but that r- that possible, rings though. a fake fading away bell. That's not- and in, during the filming of the Tank movie Fury, did he pull out his own front teeth and refuse to shower for three weeks? A vague idea I've heard that. That also rings a bell. I think I've heard that as well. Yeah. This is the Brad Pitt um, movie yes. that yes. was so dull. It's very dull. I think you probably wanted to be like a Daniel Day-Lewis thing and completely regretted it. <laughs> uh, but I do believe that one. Yeah, the one that's leading the pack at the moment is the Knives Out one because I just I haven't heard that before. I'm arrogant enough to assume that I know all facts. What do you think, John? I'm torn between the heartbeat and the knives out. Um, I think I'm going to go for knives out. Peter. My name's Andy. I know. I was looking at you. I was thinking about Peter. (laughs) As always. Um, I'm going to go for heartbeat. I'm going for... (laughs) Penis gate, because I think it's very illegal. Okay, uh, well, the answer is Knives Out. Ooh. Yes, he was never asked to play a role in that or even considered for it because he's a twat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a rare case of good judgment from Ryan Johnson. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting movie, uh, Nymphomaniac. It's two movies, actually. Both of them are three hours long. Um, it involves a lot of unsimulated sex, but uh, a lot of very clever 
special effects that make it look like the main stars are actually doing the actual deed. And they hired um, various quite well-known porn stars to do the actual stuff and then grafted people's heads, etc., oh. bits onto things to you make it look CGI like... CGI or just a chainsaw? <laughs> just imagination, I think. <laughs> so, Ian, do you think if you get Bev to watch that film... Oh, no. Like, oh. ...set the right kind of mood? I, I don't <laughs> think so, somehow, because it's you know, essentially a, a, a six-hour movie of a woman so obsessed with sex that it becomes self-destructive. Yes, she might do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and failing that, thank yeah. <laughs> I just said her a picture of me, Dick. <laughs> Will she recognise it? Nope. You'll have a little moustache and a I mean, a she, she normally imagines your head on a oh. porn star's body. <laughs> a little monocle around the eye. <laughs> so if you're having your heartbeat uploaded to the internet at the same time with know the exact moment that Bev killed you. Yes, it would do, yeah. Because it would go, it would, it would stop, but then start again. <laughs> Excellent, thank you. <laughs> Who's next? Peter. Okay, Hazel. <laughs> Mine are about Keanu Reeves. And oh, John... God. Not another one. Keanu Reeves is the best. No, he's done like all sorts of bad he things. He has, yeah. Yeah. Has he? What? He sent me so many pictures yeah. of his dick. <laughs> like, yeah. He sank oh. Atlantis. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he killed the Pope. <laughs> he, 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 likes to, he likes to touch kittens. <laughs> right. He kept feeling Gilbert's grape. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's a movie. I know, right, okay. but he's not in it. <laughs> well, strangely enough, my buffer bluff is about times when Johnny Depp was replaced by Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's a good trade. So these are things <laughs> where Johnny Depp was originally cast or was the favourite to play a role, and then it ended up being played by Keanu Reeves. The first role is the lead in Speed in 1994. Johnny Depp was offered the role but turned it down. Did he believe he was being offered Speed? <laughs> <laughs> Don't no, think really so. a mistake. <laughs> and Neo in The Matrix mm. in 1999. And as Klaatu in 2008 for The Day the Earth Stood Still, mm. where he plays an alien. Right. Uh, famously, Will Smith was in the running for Neo yes. in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've never heard any mention of any other problematic actors <laughs> being considered for the role. That's not one, is there, now? <laughs> no. Where's Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yeah. Um, so 1994 was when Speed came out, and yeah. that, that, what, that's a year after Edward Scissorhands, and I think Johnny Depp was doing this thing after that TV series that he did. 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street, yeah. And then he did Cry Baby for John Waters. He was like, yeah, I don't want to take the everyday hero, classic, handsome man role. He wants to do really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And Speed is quite a, a straight man hero character. So I could believe that one. Be like, mm-hmm. mm. I think it might be interesting to wonder how he'd have been in these roles as well. <laughs> how different would Speed or The Matrix have been with I mean, he might have had uh, Johnny Depp in them. Emotion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Famously quite a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hmm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, the Daily Earth Stood Still, 2008, did you say? Yeah. I mean, that was post-Pirates of the Caribbean, so Johnny Depp would have been hot property at that he time. He was already about three movies in by that point. Yeah, I could believe that he'd be in the running for something like that. Where was his star? Was it Rising, Falling, Doing Nothing, uh, 99 for The Matrix? 99, he was doing like Chocolat. It was just before uh, Blow. Not speed, blow. Speed. <laughs> yeah. Just before Johnny Depp did blow. Yeah. Okay, good. 
He was being cast in dramas and not huge budget films, but interesting roles. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of the role that I would least imagine Johnny Depp in. Mm-hmm. And that would be The Day the Earth Stood Still. I was going to say the same thing. But... Oh, to The Matrix. Yeah, same here. I mean, he did kind of some action kind of films around that time. He did that Out of Time, something, the real... Uh, Nick of Time. Nick of Time, Uh, yeah. That's with Christopher Walken. That's such a really Mm. good film. And then I'm torn because I'm thinking, well, I I feel like I would have heard if he'd been up for The Matrix. Mm. And you say Will Smith is the name that keeps coming Mm. up. Yeah, it is, but there was a long list of actors... So it might be that he was just one of many mm-hmm. and I just can't remember it. I'm going to go for The Matrix just for the number of times I've heard the Will Smith fact. I think he was actually offered the role and turned it down, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to think that I would have heard Johnny Depp being mentioned in that kind of conversation because it would be tacked onto the fact that I've seen mm-hmm. spread all over the internet. However, when uh, John was saying about the surprising ones and Peter said that The Matrix was the most surprising to him... Mm-hmm. Which makes me think that he was surprised when he came across that fact rather than he was surprised when he came up with it Unless himself. I'm cleverer than you think I am. No, nah. don't, listen. <laughs> don't listen to Peter. He's just trying to get you to swallow his bluff. <laughs> Has anyone ever swallowed your bluff? <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind, Ian? I'm edging towards the day the earth stood still because mm. Keanu Reeves is so appallingly bad in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he's essentially, um, what, what's his character from Bill and Ted? Ted. Theodore Logan. He's essentially that character with a long Matrix-style coat walking around being mysterious and raising rocks with his mind. Um, it's so bad, I think Depp would have been offered it, but he wouldn't have taken it. That would make it true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> Well, that's my argument here. I haven't said that. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, right, I'm, okay. I'm erring towards that film, but as one of the obviously ones. because that one's true, <laughs> I'm not picking that one. All right, yeah, you swerved that uh, that hole that is about to fall in. <laughs> I'll go for Matrix. I'm going for the day the Earth stood still, just to be contrary. I'm going for the day the Earth stood. Okay, Depp was offered the role in Speed and turned it down. Da, da, da. And. He was also the first choice of the Wachowskis for Neo in the Matrix. There you go. Ooh. The studio wanted Brad Pitt or Val Kilmer. Yeah. It then came down to Depp or Reeves, and the studio wanted Reeves. There you go. So. Mm. I nearly did Nandy. As I was going to suggest oh. <laughs> they competed for Johnny Utah in Point Break. But that's actually true. Yeah, I was gonna, I was, that, that one I definitely knew. <laughs> yeah. so I was waiting for that one to come up, and it didn't. Yeah. Did you see um, Matthew Perry has walked back his comments about Keanu Reeves? He's edited his book, hasn't he? Oh, yes. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah. talking about him reflecting on the death of River Phoenix yes. in like 93. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how can that happen whilst people like Keanu Reeves still walk among us? Yeah. It was just so awful and ill thought out. And he's kind of, he, he, he himself has said there's no explanation for it whatsoever. And there are so many terrible actors he could have picked. Yeah. Unless Matthew Perry knows. They do live in the same street, so you may have inside information. Maybe, but I choose to believe that Keanu Reeves is one of the good ones. I choose to believe that Matthew Perry spent the last six months going through Keanu Reeves' bins in the (laughs) the same street, hoping he could find something. He he had nothing else to do, did he? They've both been people who get paid the most for small amounts of words in a movie. Mm -hmm. In Edward Scissorhands, Depp spoke around 150 words and made one and a half million. 
And then in John Wick 4, Reeves took home a whopping 15 million after a grand total of only 380 words. All those words were, ow. <laughs> John, how much did Nicolas Cage get paid for Willy's Wonderland? Um, too much. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. What have you got, Hazel? All right, so the Writers Guild of America is currently on strike. Those of us of a certain age may well remember the last time this happened in 2007, 2008, where the writers were on strike for 100 days, causing many films to be delayed and many TV show seasons to be cut short. So I thought, let's look back at that time and explore some of the facts and repercussions of the 2008 writers' strike. Number one. Within the first week of the strike, many company members of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers fired writers' assistants, production assistants, and other lower-level staffers who were working on shutdown programs. Now, this was because the producers wanted to put the blame on writers for the loss of these jobs, but Seth MacFarlane called this a desperate, punitive act and called on all showrunners whose assistants are terminated If you have the means, keep paying your assistance because this strike is about the little guys. Hmm. Number two, late night shows like Conan O'Brien's Late Night, Jay Leno's Tonight Show, Stephen Colbert's The Colbert Report and Jon Stewart's The Daily Show kept going with no writers at all and included a lot of weird stuff to fill the time, which got increasingly odd. Conan O'Brien once concocted a segment where he tried to see how long he could spin his wedding ring. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Or to find out if he was in Inception, perhaps. Maybe. Number three. Halfway through the writer's strike, the head of the Writers Guild of America at the time, Patrick M. Verone, who is a writer and producer for Futurama, stood on Fox Plaza in Century City and gave a speech adapted from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Would you like to hear an extract from it? Oh, yes, please. Okay. (laughs) Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new industry, conceived in creativity and dedicated to the proposition that all writers are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great struggle, testing whether that industry or any industry so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that struggle. We have come to dedicate a portion of that battlefield as a final resting place for those who gave their time and talent to create the stories that have brought us together. It is for us, the living, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who struck here had thus far so nobly advanced. It's not a great piece of writing, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Chat GPT. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Patrick M. Barone, who's a writer on uh, Futurama. It's a plagiarism, isn't it? Yeah, intentionally. Well, he didn't have a... He was just lazy, isn't it? (laughs) He didn't have a writer. He didn't have a writer, yeah. So I know one of these is correct. I'm not going to say which one. Okay. I can guess which one you'd know was correct. Uh, Ian, should we guess which one that Peter thinks that he knows that John would think is correct? (laughs) Yes. Right, I... uh, What... What? <laughs> I think the uh, Conan O'Brien spinning I was going to say the same ring. thing, the wedding ring spinning. Yeah, that, that's the that's... one that I guess John would know if it was true. I think that's deeply shameful and embarrassing for Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, having seen some clips of some American late night shows, that scans, yeah, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, actually quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Is spinning my wedding ring a euphemism for something mm. icky? No, yeah, actually no. spun his wedding ring. <laughs> I know that some... <laughs> just, no, images now. 
I know that some showrunners paid their assistants and workers' salaries. I don't know specifically if Seth MacFarlane did. The thing I found hardest to find notable or interesting is the third one <laughs> about the Gettysburg Address. I, I quite I, like I, that. I, I think Hazel would have had fun writing that. Doing and there's a little bit Hamilton in there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. We know, we know mm. you're a fan of the old Hamels, so maybe that was the inspiration. Mm. Now if he'd sung it, I definitely believed it. Yeah, do it again, <laughs> do it again with this sort of the rap bit. Oh, like a cabinet battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world will no longer remember what we say here, but it can never forget. Mm. Um, the, the first one, uh, producers being bastards and firing people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> believe that. Yep. Well, not just that, but trying to make the writers seem like the people to blame and trying to force them to end it. Yeah. That, that just sounds depressingly true to life. I, I really like the, uh, Gettysburg address adaptation. And I think that's the kind of thing that you also might quite enjoy. So I'm going to go for that as the bluff. Okay. I am also going for that as a bluff. Me too. And me. So the story about Seth MacFarlane is true. And he was actually standing at the location where Die Hard was filmed. And he opened his talk by saying, yippee ki pay, motherfucker. The story about Conan O'Brien is true. John might have seen the YouTube clip of this. He would like ask the audience, how long do you think I can spin it for now? (laughs) How long did this clip go on for? Whole episode. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's, been, it's been doing the rounds again as a clip of and what we had to he was go through last time. doing it to illustrate how important writing was to... Yeah, so they... He wasn't just saying, we don't need writers, we can be any... We I can do it without was, torpedoed his own show, yeah. to make a point. Well, that's good of him. A lot of the late shows came back because, obviously, there's more than just writers who are part of the production. There's many people who weren't on strike, who uh, mm-hmm. obviously depended on that salary. What was the outcome of the strike? Did it provide positive results for the Writers and Writers Guild? It was about DVD um, sales and kind of residuals and things like that. But more it was about being treated better Mm. and um, being more respected. That's interesting because uh, I remember uh, back in the day, in the 90s, equity strike was huge. So all actors, women of actors, refused to take any part in anything, including me at the time I've been offered lots of jobs. <laughs> what happened was that then the, the production companies started offering people non-equity contracts and paying little to piddle money to make the things mm. that they needed to do. And that ultimately was the downfall of equity and its closed shop. Mm. So it's a risky move. It was a very risky move that backfired on them. Now you can take a job without being a member of equity and get paid paltry sums of money. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's still equity minimum rates and stuff, isn't there? So you don't have to agree to equity weights. You can go, no, I won't employ an equity member. I'll get um, John. Woo-hoo. <laughs> or the pound shop Ian McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the bluff is indeed Patrick Enverone's Gettysburg address. And do you know who wrote that address? You. Chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Proving... Proving wow. that if producers want to only employ artificial intelligence from now on, you'll be left with very piss poor results. So <laughs> pay your fucking writers. <laughs> round of applause there. A little round of applause. This current strike, there's uh, among the concerns, is the emergence of AI, uh, streaming residuals, and this proliferation of mini rooms that employ fewer writers for shorter periods of time. It's like you can't really make a living mm-hmm. from that. Mm. I heard a quote of the producers wanting to treat the WA like an Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> the top eight studio bosses 
make billions uh, mm. in salary. And if they could just maybe halve their salaries, they'll still be making a billion. They could afford to pay every single writer as part of the guild. They've got a lot of cocaine <laughs> to pay for. Yes, it's true. Quite expensive. Sad times. Apparently cocaine <laughs> is the only thing that hasn't gone up with inflation. Right. <laughs> How do you know that? Uh, it was in The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was sure like, it was in The Guardian. And it was like, why is everyone a twat on a night out? It's because they're all coked up to the eyeballs, because beer's gone up, but <laughs> cocaine hasn't. <laughs> £7.20 for a pint of beer in Newcastle. I thought you were telling us the cocaine price then. <laughs> 7.20? Where was that? At the City Hall. But well, City Hall. Well, that yeah. always been terrible. Yeah. Yeah. £7.20 for a pint of San Miguel. But going back to the subject, there's also, you know, there's a long history of crowdsourcing, especially comedy. There's various um, radio and TV mm. shows that crowdsource from members of the public and they get paid nothing for their jokes. Really? Well, just, the, just the joy of having your joke done on radio. Mm. News Jack doesn't pay. They go, oh, it's a great way in. You see that in many industries, like, oh, for exposure. Exposure, yeah. yeah. Get on your CV, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Drippers in particular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know, oh, do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another fact that I learned arriving here listening to the Empire podcast, they were talking about how the rise in reality TV mm-hmm. meshed with the writer's strike because you don't pay writers for reality TV. That's the time that they commissioned The Apprentice with Donald Trump, which gave him a platform. Oh, so oh. we can all blame the writer's wow. strike on Donald Trump becoming president. <laughs> I'm not sure I think. that's entirely fair. <laughs> um, on a no. slight, uh, side step to that, I have a friend who is a reality coach. Hmm. His job is to coach contestants on programs wow. to be oh, like talent shows, um, uh, uh, like makeover shows, house renovation shows, Love right. Island kind of shows. So, do people His privately job, hire him, or do he work for no, the company? No, they're hired by the TV company. Yeah. And you, like, if you're going to be on our show and you spend weeks working with him, and he turns you into a interesting human like being, cultivates and messes around with their backstory, all that kind of stuff. But also, just like how to present yourself on TV, how to talk, how to look, mm. how to stand, all that kind of stuff. It's in it's a really strange. They just like manufacture these kind of like oh, yeah. really. So when you see these twats on TV, like on the makeover shows, you go, "You're a twat, aren't you?" That's because Jack worked with them. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Jack. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Well, let's move on. So this is dedicated to a actor who died recently called Richard Belzer, who played Detective John Munch in Homicide: Life on the Street for many, many decades, and he also popped up as a cameo. In lots of different series, so he would he popped up in The Simpsons, playing the same character. He popped up in Arrested Development, playing the same character. He also popped up in an episode of The X Files. So what I'm looking at here are characters who have cameoed or crossed over and appeared in unrelated TV series, playing mm. the same character. Number one is Magnum PI appeared in a episode of Murder, She Wrote, where Magnum was on trial for murder and Jessica Fletcher took on the case and saved Magnum. Was that Sweeps Week? Uh, possibly Sweeps Week, <laughs> yes. Um, I might do an Ian and give you four. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is that Beetlejuice appeared in an animated episode of Batman. Beetlejuice teamed up with the Joker to try and bring Batman down, but Beetlejuice was so annoying 
that the Joker couldn't cope with him and sent him back to Beetlejuice would World. that be Tim Burton era Batman? Tim Burton era Batman. Mm, so who directed Beetlejuice as well. So that's, yeah. Is this yeah. Hamill Joker? Yeah, it's that era. Mm. And there was the animated Beetlejuice series that was on at the same time. Number three is that the Power Rangers met the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> in space. The evil Empora hypnotised the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to try and kill the Power Rangers, but luckily they overrode their mind control and they teamed up, and the episode ended with the turtles surfing through space. Ah, radical dude. Mm-hmm. So was there an animated this Power was, Rangers This, this was live action. Live action Power Rangers featuring the turtles. Wow. And finally, number four, Superman appeared in an episode of I Love Lucy. Um, <laughs> Lucy attempted to get Superman to appear at their kid's birthday party. When he couldn't do that, Lucy dressed up in a Superman outfit and decided to surprise her son, but ended up getting trapped on a ledge where Superman had to come and rescue her and bring her down. Superman then appeared at the kid's birthday party and everything was okay. And who was playing? Was it George Reeves? George Reeves, yeah. Hmm. I feel like I've heard the Magnum P.I. Jessica, what's yeah. her name? Jessica Fletcher. It's yeah. ludicrous, but it's brilliant as well. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that, unless I'm conflating two other detectives. Wasn't there a crossover of Poirot and Miss Marple? Yeah, I mean, that's the same universe. I'm pretty sure I Love Lucy is true. Just because it's, it was such a batshit crazy series anyway, and anything could happen in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like like Martians and all kinds of weird stuff going on all the time. Cause I'm worried about the, the timing of that one. Um, when was I Love Lucy? 60s. 60s? They made their money before Star Trek, because that was made by the production company. So it, it has really? to have been late, late 50s, early 60s. Lucy, I could see that happening. It's kind of the, mm. the kind of scenarios that she would kind of cook up. Do you know the date for George Reeves? Is that, that sort of mid-50s? I think it was 60s. I mean, it's quite a bit earlier than Batman, which is 66. To make, mm, uh, mid to late 50s. I'll, I'll buy that one, I think, yeah. for a dollar. It might, <laughs> might be the Christmas special as well. Because it was super, I mean, she was super famous. The uh, Beetlejuice so, Batman crossover feels vaguely familiar. Is this an audio one? Or no, this was an episode animated. of the Batman animated series. With Mark Hamill doing the Joker. Yeah. That sounds like plausible. I, I can believe that. Yeah. I think the one I'm struggling most with is Teenage <laughs> Turtles in Turtles, space. Uh, Power Rangers. I want to see it. Yes. So which set of turtles was it? It was was it when the movie came out or was it was there a live action? No, turtles it, was a, it was a live action thing. TV series. Yeah, right. I remember I, I, I watched right. that. Um, I I can you remember the ones. name of the episode with the crossover? I think it was called Chill Shocked. Mm-hmm. The Power <sighs> Rangers. <laughs> okay. You can see the little light bulb above your head now, John. No, I'm just pleased. That I, I'm just, I am just pleased. That I am just pleased that I remembered it <laughs> because I thought I would check the episode title if I came onto the He's podcast not. in case somebody asked it. Right. <laughs> you left your shovel, John. And this episode took place in space. Yes. Mm. Whereabouts in space? Outer space. Oh, so how did they get there? They went in a rocket. <laughs> A rocket. Where did the turtles get a rocket, John? Um, Elon Musk dropped one in the sewer <laughs> in a fit of peak. <laughs> I think we probably narrowed this one down. Yeah, I'm, I'm voting for the one that everyone else is voting for. <laughs> Even though it sounds uh, awesome and totally tubular, and I would have loved that as a kid. Since doing that surfing movie thing, you're just speaking like that all the time now, I aren't just you? just picked up the lingo, you know. But it sounds so implausible. Mm. 
But it just might, you know what he's like? He can sometimes like throw a curveball, can't he? And he's like... No, we do know what he's like. That's why we think it's that one. <laughs> no, I don't... Mm. Yeah, but sometimes you'll make one that sounds a bit sort of weak and you go, yeah, yeah, it's probably true because it's, it's really plumber. And then you go, that's a bit stupid. <laughs> yeah, but he could be playing the game very, very well. Yeah. Like making us think that he's yeah. making stuff up and it's actually Batman. Yeah. I think that John didn't put quite that much thought into yeah, it because he, he was watching the Leeds match that. earlier. Oh, yeah, that's and true. he was busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. What are we going for? Let the record show that I did have more faith in you than that, but the others wore me down. Thank you. <laughs> so, is, is, is everybody going for the turtles? Show I'm, I'm going to change my mind. Just okay. so at least we've got one other option. I don't mind being wrong, but I'll go for I Love Lucy as being wrong, even though I think it's true. <laughs> okay. So, Superman... George Reeve did appear in an episode of I Love Lucy <laughs> and rescued Lucy from a ledge. Magnum did appear in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. It was a yeah. crossover event, so there was an episode of Magnum with Jessica Fletcher in, uh, which ended with Magnum being charged with murder and then it being resolved in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. So a, a double crossover. The Turtles and the Power Rangers <gasps> did meet oh! <laughs> in Shell Shock to a Power Rangers Turtle movie. I can't believe you did do the work wow. on that. Let's see, uh, oh. If anybody would like to. Uh, oh, Damn yeah. it. Yeah. Trust my gut. <laughs> how did eight year old me not know that? There is a, a picture here of them yes. meeting each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. But Beetlejuice never appeared in the Batman yeah. universe. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Lucy Ball was absolutely brilliant. Mm. She was in the 50s, 60s. Yeah. Um, loads of improv, brilliant writer. They named of... Screwball Comedy after her. Yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to believe at this table anymore. It's confusing. They should have but she is completely Screwball. She was absolutely brilliant and then um, inspired Mary Tyler Moore after herself, mm. who was mm. also another brilliant... Really strong... Female comedians in the 50s and 60s who were the trailblazers of American comedy. God rest you all. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Very well bluffed, John. Andy, what's your buffer bluff? So I've got a buffer bluff about Viggo Mortensen. As it turns out, um, may well be the most interesting man on the planet. Um, and here are two facts and one lie, which hopefully is plausible, about a very interesting and lovely man, Viggo Mortensen. Fact number one, Viggo Mortensen is a thoroughly lovely man. He bought the horse, ridden by Arwen in Fellowship of the Rings, as a gift for Liv Tyler's stuntwoman, Jane Abbott, with whom he had become friends. The horse is named Florian and still lives to this day. What a lovely man. Did he basically buy someone a horse in an attempt to seduce them? <clears throat> he did not, because he's a good guy. He was genuinely made friends with a load of people on set. Uh, he really loves horses. He bought a couple of uh, horses for himself. Well, Brago he bought, too. His horse. Fact number two. Viggo Mortensen is also a photographer, a painter, an author, a poet, and a musician. The man is the Renaissance. Uh, he has released more than 20 albums, many in collaboration with the avant-garde guitarist Buckethead, with the latest release coming in 2018 under the title Godzilla Sleeps Alone. Is that Buckethead who... Lord Buckethead who ran for the Maidenhead seat. <laughs> I, was, I was going for Buckethead who was in Guns N' Roses for a while. Yep, him Wouldn't with say. the um, white kabuki mask and the KFC chicken bucket yeah. on his head. Apparently during some of the Chinese democracy sessions, he insisted on recording in a chicken coop. I heard that, yeah. <laughs> He's uh, an interesting character. And he collaborates with Viggo Mortensen. Or does he? That's the game. Uh, fact number three. He comes from humble beginnings, being born and raised for the first eight years of his life in an Amish community outside Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
he didn't have a good time there and only returned once in his life for the funeral of an old friend named Jacob. Hmm. I know that Liv Tyler's stunt woman was called Jane Abbott, but that's not the how. The, the how fact, do you know that? Just endless behind the scenes watching of uh, the yeah the the making of it. Yeah, and crying because I wasn't part of the film. <laughs> if you're ever on Mastermind, Lord of the Rings will be your specialist subject, I think. She's an incredible horse rider, Jane Abbott. Um, I know I haven't heard that story, but the story's about him um, buying the bus that was kind of where they all got ready because he would cover it in photographs of their time together and he would like put it all over his mirror and it would be all over the mirrors of all of his other actors and to the extent that it became the shrine of their time mm. and he actually bought the bus mm. so it kind of rings true what he would do but i just never heard that story i also believe it because he did bother to research the stunt woman's name you wouldn't expect someone to know a stunt woman's name uh, also as um extra elaboration or complication on fact number <laughs> one I did read and was unable to find a, a good source to properly verify, so I'm not certain it's true, but I did read that stuntwoman Jane Abbott really had a good relationship with the horse and loved the yeah. horse, um, but there was a producer who also wanted to buy the horse, and this is why Viggo Mortensen bought it for her, because he had mm. actory money and was able to buy it where she wouldn't be able to afford it, because he's a lovely, lovely man. Mm. He is. I don't know. I know he bought his own horse, and then he developed... An incredible relationship with Brago. That's how they got that shot in the two towers when he'd fallen off the cliff. And Brago kind of came up to him and just like nudged him in the face and like lay down right next to him. It's a very dangerous stunt to do, but they build up that trust. Anyway, <laughs> I could talk Lord of the Rings facts for ages. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything about his childhood. Does anybody else? Nope. No. Do we believe Amish? Amish, I'm rather. thinking more kind of from a privileged background rather than, I'm not, not that I'm Amish, Amish isn't a privileged background, but that's more of kind of simple life, isn't it? I'm wondering whether he might have come from a bit more of a privileged world. He's definitely hmm. a, a handy fellow, like he knows hmm. how to cook, you know, get his own food. And raise a barn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he knows how to survive in the wild. Hmm. What was the middle one? Uh, the middle one was... Uh, no one that Andy made up. He mm. has collaborated um, with avant-garde guitarist oh, Buckethead. Bucket Buckethead. Mm. released more than 20 albums, the most recent one of which was called Godzilla Sleeps Alone. That's one for Ian Mayer, isn't it? Could be. <laughs> Surely we would all assume that was a made-up thing because he'd mentioned Godzilla. And that if he was struggling to think of a name... Is that the rule? And had like 30 <laughs> seconds to make but, up a name. But surely I would know that you would assume that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Damn. What are we going for? Buckethead. I'm going to go for Amish. Buckethead. Buckethead. No, wait, no, hang on. I forgot the fact that I'm doubting the first one. Yes, I'm going to go for the stunt woman's horse. Ah, well. One of us is right. The horsey one is true. Bollocks. (laughs) He did buy the horse Florian for his good friend Jane Abbott. Um, And Florian still lives to this day. Sadly, though, because horses don't have the longest lifespans, the horses that he rode and bonded with have now passed on. R.I.P. Brig. Uh, indeed. You with the angles now. <laughs> uh, Mortensen is an accomplished horseman. He did all of his own riding stunts in Lord of the Rings and also in 2004's Hidalgo, which I haven't seen, but I think has got a lot of horsey action in it. So he's a very horse-oriented guy. Mm-hmm. So that one is true. The one about being a musician and releasing 20 albums and collaborating with Buckethead and uh, Godzilla Sleep Alone is totally true. Wow. 
Godzilla Sleeps Alone is uh, all over YouTube. Go listen to it. And it's uh, weird and interesting. Mm. Good. Mm. Um, he plays the piano. And uh, he just, he says he's not the greatest musician in the world, but he just has fun. And I'd be interested to see some of his art as well. That was art, not art. <laughs> <laughs> you all see some of his art, not the whole thing. <laughs> just one cheek. Just one hemisphere, yeah. So uh, the bluff is the Amish thing. Um, he was not born and raised in an Amish community outside Lancaster, Pennsylvania. However, um, his first film role was in the 1985 crime drama starring Harrison Ford, Witness, which was based in oh, an yes. Amish community oh, outside Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the inciting incident was um, people returning from the funeral of a guy called Jacob. Yeah. He was born in New York State to an American mother and a Danish father, moved around a lot, settled in Argentina for a portion of his childhood. He speaks fluent English, Danish, Spanish, French, German, and Norwegian, as well as some Russian, Swedish, Arabic, Italian, and Catalan. He is a remarkable guy and a Danish knight also. He was knighted in 2010. Sir Vigo. What do the Danish call their knighted? Vietja. 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 Not pleased to meet ya. Vietja. Morgan. Nerdfest does not corroborate the views of Ian McLaughlin. <laughs> I was just speaking actual language. Vietja. Vietja. I'm like one of those dictaphone tapes from the 80s. Aren't they? Like, learn, learn French in a day. It means bless. Blessed. Vietja. One day I'm just going to take you in a tour of Europe just to call you out on your bullshit. Vietje is the noise a mouse makes when it sneezes. <laughs> As it's eating some cheese. <laughs> Right. Due to popular demand, we've had letters. Shameful Gap is a feature... Ian's no longer on the show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Shameful Gap is a feature that we do semi-regularly, but not for a while, so we have brought it back. And this is where one of us has not seen a certain famous film and watches it for the very first time and comes to the podcast to report on their findings. The film in question today is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Now, which one of our nerds has never seen this before? Oh, <laughs> oh several. Me. It's me. <laughs> Shame. Shame. And also Ian. <laughs> and also me, because I wanted to see it with you. <laughs> so we're in the majority. Yes. <laughs> so please, Andy, tell us what you thought. All right, then. Um, it was released in the futuristic and mysterious year 2000. I think it had quite a large cultural impact at the time. I don't know how well that has sustained. It was the first film I ever saw at the Tyneside Cinema. Mm. That's why that uh, golden plaque is on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a, a wuxia martial arts fantasy action adventure film. I think that's a fair description. I believe it is the Chinese film that had the most success in the West, grossing over $200 million worldwide. It's famous for its highly stylized action scenes with intricate swordplay and wire-assisted flying stunts. Directed by Ang Lee, who did the Hulk film that everyone's forgotten about. Mm. The Hulk. Uh, it stars recent Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh as Xu Lian, and this is why there was a special showing of it at the Tyneside Cinema, um, to celebrate her Oscar win for Everything Everywhere All at Once which I wish I liked more. Mm. Yes, it also stars Chao Yun-fat as Li Mu-bai. They're legendary warriors in Qing Dynasty China who have feelings for one another but have never acted upon them. 
Mubai chooses to retire from the warrior life and entrusts Xu Lian with delivering his mystical sword, the Green Destiny, to Beijing, where it is to be given to their benefactor, Serti, as a gift. In the capital, she befriends Yu Xiaolong, a young woman soon to be married off by her parents, who yearns for a life of freedom and adventure. One night, the Green Destiny is stolen by a masked thief who turns out to be the young Xiaolong, trained in martial arts by the villainous Jade Fox, who years ago killed Mu Bai's master. Mu Bai and Xu Lian team up for one last quest to retrieve the sword and bring justice to Jade Fox. Lots of story threads, but the main one for me was Zhao Long's desire to escape her arranged marriage and make her own life. There's an extended flashback sequence where she had a romance with a bandit called Lo, and he shows up again in Beijing, wanting her to run away with him, but she doesn't really want to be tied down to any man and wishes to go her own way. Um, I like this story, uh, but it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle amongst all the other stuff going on. The overall narrative is a bit cluttered and never really felt particularly strong or focused to me. But the main attraction of the film is the action scenes. Uh, I don't think Western audiences had witnessed much like it before. Skillful fighting Mm. mixed with the fantasy element of actors flying around on wires creates quite the spectacle. There's a particularly famous sequence of fighting in treetops that's quite pretty and produces Mm. an unusual blend of violence and serenity. I can see why it captured audiences back in 2000, but in 2023, I don't know quite how well it holds up. Uh, For my taste, the wirework stuff had a slightly uncanny look to it that was pleasing to the eye, but also kind of noticeably fake looking. So I found it difficult to keep believing in the characters while they were flying around. I was more taken with the mechanics of how they would have shot those parts, which probably wasn't the intention. Mm -hmm. The film stuttered a little bit in between the action scenes as well. I did find myself very slightly bored on a number of occasions. There are a lot of dialogue scenes that are perhaps a little too simplistic. Characters tend to just sit or stand still, looking at each other while they exchange lines of exposition, usually done in shot, reverse shot, and nobody tends to move around or do anything. It's not terrible or anything, but it's a bit flat at times. Do you think that's to do with the style of the type of film it is? And it follows some of the conventions of the Wushu movies? Possibly. It's a long time since I've seen it, but I loved it when I did see it. I liked a lot of things about this film. It's lovely to look at. There's great settings, landscapes and costumes, some very good action. Although some of it was difficult to see what was going on due to the footage being sped up and the cameras being kind of too close in. But it never properly grabbed me, and I think the story is the weakest part of it. I can see why the romanticism and the style uh, was and is so popular. I'm thinking of it a little bit like I think of The Matrix. It was revolutionary in its time. But looking back on it from the future, it doesn't have the most solid foundations underneath all the spectacular imagery and concept. So if you're not taken in by those, then there isn't that much left to satisfy you. John, was it Yuan Mu Ping on both movies, the fight choreographer? Because, I mean, there was this sort of thing where The Matrix brought it into mainstream cinema almost, and then it turned up in things like Charlie's Angels and things like that, all all Mm -hmm. that sort of fighting style, and made that acceptable to a Western audience. And that sort of opened the door to it. I do wonder if some of you are not being blown away by the fighting style is. It was really mm. new and exciting. We'd not seen it before back then, but then we've had 20 years of slightly inferior knockoffs. Of it. Parodies yeah, as well. I think parodies. it probably is. Because I remember being really taken with The Matrix, um, mm-hmm. as as everyone was, I think. Um, Johnny Depp was brilliant. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was yeah. brilliant. All the bullet time stuff and, and um, the, the style of it and, and everything, it was mm-hmm. new. But we've seen that done time and time again over the last couple of decades. We watched it last year, I think. 
And um, I still enjoyed it, but I mean, visual effects have moved on from then. And the, the whole concept of the Matrix was, whoa, dude, at the time. <laughs> and still doing it. Less so now. <laughs> so without those, just taking it just as a story and as characters and such, it wasn't that strong. And I feel like maybe I've had a similar kind of reaction to Crouching, Crouching Tiger. Have you seen, I'm, I've not watched the first one, I've seen the, uh, the sequel, which I think is really good, which was made, was it three years ago now? The new Matrix. The, yeah, no, I'm talking about um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I didn't know there was a yeah, sequel. It's called um, it's called um, Drunken Fox Raji Badger. Not that. It's Raji Badger. It's, it's, it's horny hamster missing chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the action did blow me away, despite the gap. And what I just I loved about it was it was so clear. And the talent was on just front and display. So many movies now, it's like, how many punches can we get in a single second? And you just can't see anything. Where this film really took the time to properly choreograph every arm move, every flight. And it was just, I, th- I thought it was exceptional. I really did. Um, it, it, it worked really, really well for me. There was a bit where I got a little bit bored with the the backstory with the person who she's trying to get a hairbrush back from <laughs> oh yeah the bandit <laughs> yes low. Uh, i really just kind of appreciated um her carving her own story um not listening to what tradition and her family were saying to her and i i loved it i i absolutely loved it so so poo to you also <laughs> wow <reinf> sorry <laughs> it also reaffirms what a, a strong and flexible wood bamboo is Mm. Yes. And it's important that we remember that. Yeah, very useful. <laughs> John, were you aware of Michelle Yeoh before it through the sort of things like Jackie Chan movies and things? I was more aware of Chow Yun Fat. <laughs> the killer. Through like the, the killer and in, uh, all the John Woo films. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, I was aware of. Police Story. Police Story 3, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Have you seen. Um, Oh God! Right down behind the bush, kangaroo, <laughs> monkey with a bag on its head. Oh yeah, it's not bad. That's that good. That's it's a good, good one. one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. yeah. Boys. <laughs> so, Peter, you you have seen and enjoyed I have, this but film. it was a long time ago. I remember the visuals were really spectacular, and mm-hmm. um, there's a load of similar ones. There's a Jet Li one that's all about sound. I think they perhaps have a blind person, and they're all doing their fighting. They use sound in ways in within the movie. <laughs> And there's another that's all about colours, and it's the most mm-hmm. spectacular movie I've ever seen in terms of how colour fills the screen up. It did really bring some of this stuff into the West. Mm-hmm. Seeing all those knockoff versions of it does sort of devalue it a little bit, <laughs> but that doesn't take away from what it did in the first place. I was kind of into, at the time, the fact that everything's like realistic under on camera, so you had people like Jackie Chan doing all the run stunts and mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh, and what you were seeing on screen was really, really good martial artistry and athleticism and i remember enjoying crouching tiger but thinking it's a bit of a trick because they're all on wires and stuff like that and i used to quite enjoy watching them just do it like you know human visual special effects didn't bother me though i kind of i saw through the wire did you yeah (laughs) well they're very thin (laughs) to the other side if you do that they'll fall (laughs) (laughs) so how many hidden Tigers and crap. No, mm-hmm. how many? <laughs> Lightweight ocelot. <laughs> Obvious seagull. <laughs> From a 2023 perspective, and if I had seen it when it first came out, I probably would have thought much more of it, but I'm going to give it six lightweight <gasps> ocelots out of ten. Mm, that is scandalous. I'm going to set Michelle Yeoh in your ass. 
That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you very much for listening. You can keep up to date with us between shows on our social media channels. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And if you've been listening to us for a while and you think, hmm, I wonder if I should leave these guys a review. They entertain me so much twice a month. Why not make today that day? And if you need a final bit of motivation, here is John. If you leave a review, I will do something incredibly pleasant to you. Oh dear. But <laughs> you'll have no idea who will be doing it because I will be both crouching and hidden. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've been affected by that statement, <laughs> here's a number you can call. <laughs> Until next time, you've been listening to... A man whose role in this podcast was almost played by Johnny Depp. <laughs> you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> Mine was a man who expects to be replaced by Keanu Reeves on the next podcast. Yes, please. It's I so mean, unfair that no. <laughs> Peter Johnson still walks amongst us with people <laughs> like... <laughs> Wow. A man who's about to go home and watch Sultry Camel Licky Starfish. (laughs) (laughs) A man who was surprised that Godzilla seems alone because he thought there was a thing going on with Mothra there. (laughs) Mothzilla. And a woman who's about to go and see Guardians 3. Squee! We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Why don't you see baby pigeons? Um, because you need your glasses checked. Because they look exactly the same as grown-up pigeons. What, they're born fully sized? Yeah. <laughs> that must be painful. <laughs> That's why you never see a lady of pigeon. No, they come out as an egg, obviously, at normal size, but they, they grow inside the egg and then suddenly, poof, they're a full you go to pigeon. <laughs> How big check is this? fucking egg? <laughs> it's a small egg, but they're like compressed yeah, inside really, like, it's it's really loaded, <laughs> yeah. That's why they're always so like, you know, some of them come out with one foot because the explosion is quite... Dramatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Andy, what's your buffer blush? Yes, oh, God, I we were doing a podcast, weren't we? <laughs> um.